episode 78 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, Servant Leadership with Dale Smith. The most challenging thing for me, listening. Oh, yeah. Listening to what people are saying, putting your own agenda down for a little while, and just listening to their heart. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. We're joined in the podcast studio today by Dale Smith, right? That's correct. And a little bit of background here. You've been brought into Waco to help out with a program we do called Charity Champions. And Charity Champions was started several years ago as a combination between 360 Solutions, which is the company that I work for and puts together this podcast, and TFNB, First National Bank McGregor, and Baylor as a way to highlight nonprofit organizations in our area, kind of help them with exposure, benefit them also by doing a leadership development program. And it's grown, it's done really well, and we're kind of looking to take it to the next level. And that's why you got brought here. That's correct. So tell me about your history and your past and how we got to where we are right now. Okay. Well, I'll go back to central Louisiana, which is where I grew up. Graduated from LSU Law School there in 1982, practiced law for 15 years, and during that stint, uh, served in the Louisiana legislature for four years. Blessed to win, and then more blessed to be defeated when I ran for (laughs) re-election. Why is that? Well, a lot of reasons we probably don't have time (laughs) to go into. But it was educational. Okay. It was very educational. And so in 1998, we just sensed the Lord calling us to full-time ministry with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. Mm Mm-hmm. We were working with a group called the Jesus Film Project, and then um, about five years later, still with Campus Crusade, we started working with another ministry called Story Runners. And without getting all the details of it, uh, it involved storytelling uh, in the native tongue, telling Bible stories to them, and that's where I fell in love with narrative. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a wonderful way to communicate. So, well, June of this year, we left staff with Campus Crusade to take this job here in Waco. Now, my wife grew up here in Waco. Mm -hmm. Uh, She graduated from Baylor, and she left in 1982. And so she followed me around for almost 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so I'm following her now for 30 years. All right. Yeah. But anyway, the, the main draw was the fact that this job was offered, and I was very intrigued by it. So we decided to to follow. So tell me about the job that you're taking here. Well, as you described it, my position is to uh, help take this um, program to the next level. And uh, we want it to be more encompassing, uh, to involve uh, more people in more ways. And we were having a discussion this morning about the essence of it is, is helping others help others. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of ways that we envision how that can happen in Waco, in McLennan County, and even in Central Texas. And, of course, our big dream is it'll be so successful that it'll even spread throughout Texas and throughout the United States. So when you were talking about Charity Champions with the bank here, what about it were you like, okay, I'm going to move halfway across the country, uproot my family, and come here? What about it was that special to you? Well, you know, our heart is steeped in ministry. What resonated with us was something as unique as a bank being willing to give back to the community in such a way that expecting nothing in return, but to give nonprofits the opportunity to minister better to the people that they've been called to minister to. And so when I began looking at uh, the charity champions and who was involved in it, it was just a, a broad spectrum throughout the community. 
And so I wanted to be a part of something that would merge what we were trying to do in ministry, which is help people through the name of Christ and do it in such a way that we were bringing in people in the community. And so we see a lot of opportunities for that locally to enlarge it. And so it, it, to me, it's just more comprehensive and more holistic. And I'm just intrigued about the possibilities that it could bring to the community. You've had a long career, long history. You know, this is a podcast about leadership. Can you think of any stories or things that you've been through, experiences that have taught you something about leadership or have helped you to understand those terms or people that have displayed good leadership or have displayed bad leadership? Of course, the model that I have is uh, that of Jesus and uh, not that I'm in that league and who is, but uh, he led through serving. That's the model that I find the most successful and the most challenging Yeah, because as humans, we tend to deviate often to our own agendas. And so what I uh, try to do is I, I try to serve and, and love people. I think that most people that want to serve others do it for that reason. And so that, that's what I've learned fundamentally about servant leadership and, and why it is the best way to be a leader. You were with Campus Crusade for Christ for quite a while. Right. What was the organization like when you started and how have you seen it change and evolve over the years? We begin to see that shift uh, probably in 2000, 2005, that time period there, where we began to intentionally try to connect with a more diverse community. Mm -hmm. We began to do that in a number of ways. We're talking about racially, socioeconomically, in any way where there's a marginalized group to reach out to them with intentionality. And you can't really do that unless you go where they are and serve where they are and just love them mm-hmm. because you know one of the things that we all have heard is that people really don't care what you know until they care that you love them right you know so we try to do that and uh, there's some great charity champions here in the Waco area that exemplify that tremendously one of them is uh, Jimmy Doral with Mission Waco mm-hmm. tremendous group um, in fact just a little history there when he was at the young age of 24 which was many, many years ago. Uh, he was uh, my wife's uh, youth minister at, at Highland Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. And so he does this incredibly well. And the reason I mention him is, number one, we know him. And number two, a lot of other people here in Waco know him. Yeah. And, and they love and appreciate what he does. So you've mentioned, uh, you know, this is ministry. And actually, when you think about it, if you're a minister, you are leading people. You're leading people Correct. to live a better life, to follow Jesus. What are some of the skills that someone in ministry uses in leadership that might translate to leadership more generally? Well, the most challenging thing for me, listening. Oh, yeah. Listening to what people are saying, putting your own agenda down for a little while, and just listening to their heart. And as you begin to know their heart, God will just, I've seen it many times, he, he touches your heart for the things that concern them and how you can help them. So that's the main thing is just listening to them and what they have to say at a deep level. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting you, you talked about the leadership style of Jesus. And I think of when people think of leaders now, like in corporate America, they right. think of the forceful, egotistical bravado type sometimes. Right. Jesus was definitely not that way, but his vision was so compelling that people followed him. Yes. And so is that kind of a leadership style you try to use? Yeah. I mean, people notice when you're different. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, when you're different from the world. And I, I would like to be more different. I'm not as different as I 
would like to be. And that's all of us. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, when I say these things, I, I don't want people to think, well, you know, he thinks he's got it made. Uh, no, I've just begun my journey uh, at the ripe old age of 59. But uh, I have noticed that, that, uh, you know, in fact, when Jesus was leading, many times uh, would say things so difficult. It was as if he was trying to call the people who were following him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, charity champions, we're not trying to call people. But uh, what we're trying to do is to help others to help others. And we can do that through the charity champions and the program will enlarge to include others, but also the volunteers and the donors. And it just takes a lot of different people following their passion to help other people. And we want to connect all of those together in some way. And we're discussing that now, how we can be more effective in doing that. And that's part of bringing this to the next level so that if someone says, you know, I, I, I want to, I want to help more. I don't know where to help, how to help. We want them to be able to go to this website that we are beginning to develop and they can click on some things and go through some videos about local ministries that are serving people. And I'm convinced that they will find someone uh, that captures their passion and join them some way. You know, I was raised in the Midwest, so I kind of understand what Campus Crusade for Christ is. Right. But for people that aren't familiar, kind of what kind of things did you guys do? Well, Campus Crusade started on a college campus in Southern California in 1952, and it was focused exclusively on ministry to college students, and it grew and grew, and then more people uh, joined that God was calling them to other audiences besides college campuses. So as it expanded through the years, now there's over 50 different ministries involving global activities, if you will. The particular one we were involved with, our ministry audience, was unreached people groups. These are people that don't have the opportunity to hear the gospel. In Waco, there's probably a lot of people that haven't heard the gospel, but they have the opportunity. And the people we were ministering to, they didn't have the opportunity. So I I use that as an example. There's ministries to business people, to university professors, to artists, to cab drivers in India. I mean, it just goes on and on. And so what we're trying to do, and it's not just Campus Crusade, but followers of Christ is to share his love and his message. And so that's what Campus Crusade tries to do. How does someone who's a lawyer and then a a legislator go from that into ministry like? Well, that's a good question. And and when people ask me that, I I, uh, jokingly say I had to repent three times. (laughs) That of being a senator, lawyer, and a politician. (laughs) And of course... uh, constantly repenting of being a sinner. I got out of the law business because of, you know, just sensing the leading uh, to be involved in something um, more. The practice of law is a significant thing, but uh, God wants us to serve where he calls us. Do you think knowing the law and, and how that can help or hurt people helped you when you went into ministry to kind of understand how the world worked a little bit? Yes. It's, it's helped in all kinds of ways. I mean, one of the things about having a diverse background is, you know, you meet a lot of different people, a lot of different walks of life, and you see the differences, but you also see the commonalities. Uh, I mean, there's just an unction in everyone to want to be significant. Mm-hmm. And this world we live in offers plenty of opportunities to do that. But unfortunately, uh, we view that in terms of, for example, materialism. And so people 
end up making a lot of money and they go at the end of that go is that all there is or whatever it might be you can't take it with you you can't take it with you <laughs> so also being a politician what specific po- type of politician were you again uh, i was elected to the state legislature uh, to the Louisiana House of Representatives in 1988 at the ripe old age of 29 and served four years. I would say that looking at our current political climate, that maybe some good leadership fundamentals would help things in a lot of ways. How do you think some leadership principles that maybe you learned while you were serving as a politician have helped you or do you think could help the country as it is now as well? The most fundamental way is to tell the truth. Yep. And many times when um, people are told the truth, they don't like it and they want to maybe vote for someone else who will tell them something that um, sounds better. Mm-hmm. may not be the truth, but uh, if you polish it up long enough, it, it'll pass. And so uh, as far as our political leaders, it's very difficult to just tell the straight, unvarnished truth. And generally, people can recognize that. Mm-hmm. And again, they may not like it and they may not vote for you, but the bottom line is to tell the truth. You know, in most industries, I don't feel like it's acceptable. If you're not truthful, it can really damage your career. And I feel like it can with politics as well, but it seems more accepted. Yep. Do you have an idea why that may be? Or I'm one that believes that um, we elect who we deserve. <laughs> okay. And so we like to point at the politicians, right? but we elect them. Yeah. And so if we're going to blame them, well, who elected them? That's true. And there's lots of people that won't run for political office because of all that comes along with it. But I did learn this along the way. I went into office uh, believing that it wouldn't make any difference to have term limits. And I came out realizing that if I could pass just one bill that would apply nationwide for everybody, and that would be term limits. So how would that work? Simply the fact that uh, you serve one term, two term, whatever the term limit is, you can't serve again in that office. And the reason that's significant is because just my observation and hanging out with politicians and, again, being one of them, I fell prey to this also. One of the most important things, no, the most important thing is getting reelected. Mm-hmm. And so when that's the most important thing, you make all type of compromises that um, you shouldn't be making. And you're not making others that you should make. Mm -hmm. So uh, term limits eliminates that as an issue. You know, you don't you don't uh, have to worry about getting reelected because the law says you can't get reelected after a certain number of times. So um, I think that would be probably one of the most significant changes that we could make. And maybe also. If you spend some time outside of politics, you can get to know the real issues. And I feel like if you are constantly in them, you may not hear from the people on the front right. lines that are dealing with the situations that you're, you know, you're over here dealing with them and they're over there living them. That's right. That's right. And I think it would also begin to draw more people into the public arena because it would change the climate so much that it would be driven by issues. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of people that sit on the sidelines that may be called to serve. In a, in a public capacity, but don't because of all this other garbage that goes along with it. And so if they know, you know, this is one term or two terms, I can do that as a public servant and serve that way and then get out and then someone else. I mean, believe me, our country won't go down the tubes if every one of them went out of office this next term and they elected a new lot. Yeah. It's also interesting to me that in most jobs and in most realms, you want the most qualified person for that job. And there is a little bit of 
popularity to it, but you want to look at someone's track record and background and skills to appoint them for the job. But for the job of running our country, which is one of the most important jobs anyone could do, it's a popularity contest. Yep. And there's actually a a new show on TV called uh, The Mayor or something where this aspiring rapper who's barely a teenager, I believe, you know, decides to run for mayor as a publicity stunt and he ends up winning. (laughs) Right. And he's like, I don't know how to do this. And when you think about it, you know, you would hope that people would vote for the most qualified candidate, but that doesn't always happen. And it could be to the detriment of our country and our politics. Well, interesting. I saw an interview this morning with a gentleman from California who was running or is running for U.S. Congress. And his platform is one thing, that he has set up a software system where people will be able to vote on the issues that he votes on before he votes on them. Okay. And it will be a popular referendum, if you will. And so he has promised, that's his only campaign promise, is that whatever gets 50% plus one vote, that's how he'll vote in Washington. Well, that sounds great, except I hope since he's in Washington and he should know a lot about what he's voting on. Right. That um, if he were to see that um, there's some things that are horrific about this that Mm -hmm. the voters have uh, overlooked, that perhaps he maybe should vote the other way and hope that he could persuade them before he comes up for re-election unless he's term limited out. You know, if that's the way it's going to be, you might as well not have politicians and just have everyone, you know, do their voting machine. What's the point of him at that point? That's right. Well, that was the question that they asked, and he didn't really have a good answer for that. (laughs) And also, you're talking about, you know, telling the truth as a leadership principle. And I I totally love that as well. But also, I would think as a politician, it's hard because you're never going to be able to satisfy everyone. Correct. There's going to be somebody who's not going to like your policy, no matter how much you think it's the right way to go. And a lot of people, a lot of politicians, the lie is not so much that they straight up told somebody something false, but they made a promise they couldn't keep. Right. And so I think that's also probably a pretty tough part about being a politician. Well, yes, it is. But if we can get over the, the, the want to of being liked by everybody, then it makes it easier to tell the truth. But because it's a popularity contest and we want to be liked by enough people that would vote for us a second time, then we begin to be um, driven by popularity rather than doing the right thing. All right, let's jump out of politics. Yeah, That's let's, a lot do. Of stuff. <laughs> let's do. I think it's interesting because of the, the, the current day that we live in, but at the same time, it can get a bit heavy sometimes. Yeah. In your most recent position, how many people were you in charge of and what, what kind of things were you in charge of? The ministry that I, I just left, we had a team of 23, mm-hmm. small group, and uh, each of us had our own little subspecialties. For many years, mine was to go out around the world and do the training that would result in these recordings and these mother tongue languages that Mm -hmm. are considered unreached. And so that's what I did as part of a team. Sometimes I was in charge of that team. Sometimes someone else was in charge of the team. The last three or four years, I did fund development because it cost money to go and do this overseas. Mm -hmm. And so I enjoyed that. That that encompassed uh, what I did with and so to put together this production of all, all the different stuff you guys are doing, how did you guide your team or how did other leaders in the group guide the team towards finishing your vision? What sort of things did you use to try and get the job done? Yeah, well, we couldn't be successful without local partners in that particular 
country where we were going. And so we had to work closely with them mm-hmm. uh, because they hosted us and they pulled together the mother tongue speakers that were necessary in order uh, to do the recordings. So they had to take care of that selection. They had to take care of logistics for where we would stay, where we would train, what we would eat, transportation. Yeah. So coordinating a lot of that was the role of the team leader with the national partner. Mm-hmm. And so the result of that partnership, we walked away three to six weeks later with a story set with uh, stories from Genesis to uh, the end of Revelation. It was a team effort that resulted in that. What are some of the challenges that you ran into when trying to get this big project done? The biggest challenge was always, and funny you should ask that because it's uh, the same here, fundamentally, and that is the the difference in um, cultural perspectives. And this country is full of different cultural perspectives. Even in, even in a town, you have different cultures, of course. It's, it's incredible. And so when you go over to a third world country and you see the problems that they face compared to what we face, the problems that we face here, I now call them first world problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, they deal with third world problems, which are a lot more significant, like what am I going to eat today? Mm-hmm. Right? And so when we're dealing with people from an undeveloped country, we are constantly having to deal with a different cultural perspective and we have to learn from them about how they operate. And I'm not talking about what's moral and immoral. We're, we're just talking about basic things and the appropriate attire, appropriate um, behavior. I mean, little things that we take for granted over here that don't mean anything over there, they're huge. Mm-hmm. So I would say that the biggest challenge was being able to cross uh, the cultural divide in those countries between those people. And in a way, that's the the biggest challenge here. And Charity Champions, I hope, can help cross those barriers so we can connect more people uh, to help more people. So talking about Charity Champions, we work with these nonprofits in Waco to kind of get them some exposure, get them some, some time in front of people so hopefully they can get more people to volunteer, more people to donate to their cause. And then we also give them some leadership development to try and help them and their organization become more efficient and better uses of their money. Obviously, as a ministry, you could just take in a bunch of donations and just spend that however you think is necessary. Why do you think it's a good idea to have a really strong strategy and goals set out so that you know when you're hitting your targets and when you're not? Well, I think that one of the the things that's going to make Charity Champions really, really different it's going to be uh, developing relationships between people because money's not going to solve it. Strategy's not going to solve it. I mean, it's helpful to have strategy, but what's the strategy about? And if it's not about connecting people so they can have relationships, perhaps one mentoring another, not a handout, but a hand up, and uh, talking with people in such a way that they learn that you do care about them, and then they will care about what you know. And so, to me, that's uh, the key to all of this is developing relationships between people who want to help and people who need the help. And then giving that help in such a way that it's not hurting them. Because at the end of it, if they have to depend on someone else to constantly come back and give that help, then you've really hurt them. Mm. You need to be helping them in such a way 
that not only are they warm and they fed and they know how to read and all the other things we want to help them with, but at the end of it, are they better off than before so they don't need to depend upon you, number one? And number two, will they go help someone? Mm -hmm. And you do that by relationships. You don't do that by crop dusting money and programs. You roll up your sleeves, and it's one person working with one person. What is the population in Waco? 125, 125,000, something like that. I'm not even sure. Okay. Well, <laughs> the, the point is there's a lot of people that live here, and in McLennan County, I think it's over 250,000. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that can give help. There's a lot of people that need help. And, and incidentally, there's a lot of people, they need help, but they can help in other ways. Right. People who think they don't need help. Mm-hmm. That's going to be an interesting scenario, you know, where people that we nor- ordinarily consider people that, uh, well, they are the ones that need help. What, what are they doing giving help? Mm-hmm. They can give help in incredible ways. I've been working on Charity Champions for several years now, and it always seemed to me that the goal is to help the people in the community that are the people that interface directly with the nonprofits. Right. So if it's a homeless shelter, it's helping the homeless. But you don't think about also how much help the homeless shelter could use. Sometimes they are the ones who need help, you know, getting the resources and taking care of their own employees and taking care of the people that will actually be delivering the services. And that, to me, was a huge shift. I was like, yes, if we have stronger organizations that provide that help to people, how much more help can they provide? And I know that through the leadership development training that 360 does, we were trying to help people think about their strategy and how to develop their leaders in such a way that they could have more impact in the community. But I really didn't think about the need of those nonprofits to then help even more than they are currently. Yeah. So there's, there's a huge need, I think, out there. And I think whether you're a for-profit company or a nonprofit, the idea of really taking the time to assess your company, to build a strategy, and then to develop your leaders, you're just going to see such a benefit yeah. that's going to be able to help the company, the community, everyone together. And I think the goal of all of this really is just to have a stronger community. Yeah, and that's what it'll result in. You have people helping each other, the stronger the community is going to be. Excellent. Well, I look forward to working with you more closely. One of the things we talked about that we both kind of love, and I love this, is we love stories. Right. Good stories. A a good narrative always connects with people, and it's the way that sticks in people's memory. And so we're going to be starting a separate podcast that's going to focus on charity champions and the stories that we find when working with these nonprofits, whether it be the people they help or the people in the organization and why they do what they do. And I'm really excited to start that. We don't have specific details yet, but I know you and I both talked about how impactful that can be to really just hear these stories in our community. Yeah. I'm expecting that we're going to capture these in such a way that someone can go to the website and just go through them very quickly. And there's going to be a story of someone helping someone else that's going to resonate with them and they're going to click about how can I be involved in that way mm-hmm. because the most fulfilling thing or one of the most fulfilling things in life is helping someone that needs help mm-hmm. and so we're, we're hoping that Charity Champions is going to to grow and grow into into such a thing that the first thing people want to do is say, okay, I'm going to go click on the Charity Champion website. So I want to know how I can be helpful. And that could also be a really good leadership concept because people think about leadership development as self-help. I'm going to make myself better. I'm going right. to be a better leader. 
But most of the time, the best leaders are the ones who are focused on others, on helping others. I mean, that's Jesus, right? That's Jesus. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you coming in, Dale, and I can't wait to keep working with you. And we're going to have awesome podcasts in the future. It's going to be great. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.